0: about uh, Teresa of Calcutta that's been messing with me a little bit the last few days. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, You've heard of her. Some of you uh, maybe uh, haven't heard that much about her. She died in 1970 or 1997, so it's possible that uh, some of you in the room really don't know that much about her. So real quick, here's her story. Uh, She was a Albanian Indian Catholic nun, have founded the Missionaries of Charity an incredible organization raised up over 4500 nuns in 133 countries over time and her order focuses almost exclusively on caring for those that are dying especially dying of HIV AIDS leprosy tuberculosis they run Uh, Soup kitchens and dispensaries and mobile clinics and and family and children's counseling programs, orphanages, schools, and and those that are part of the order take vows, uh, vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, and a fourth vow, which is to give wholehearted, free service to the poorest of the poor. She's been one of the most revered Jesus followers in modern history, so revered, so respected that she was actually awarded a Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. And not long after that, the CBS news program 60 Minutes sent Dan Rather to India to interview here. Now, I wish I could show you a clip. I couldn't find the whole clip. YouTube rarely fails me anymore, but I couldn't find the whole thing. But uh, there's plenty of people that report on exactly what happened. Uh, Dan Rather sat with Mother Teresa and he asked her a series of questions and then he got to one really interesting question. He asked her, when you pray, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa was quiet for a moment and her response was, I don't say anything, I just listen. And now those who watched the interview say that there's kind of an awkward silence where Rather looks kind of discombobulated, and when he kind of figured out what to do next, he spun the question around and said, okay then, when you pray to God, what does he say to you? And after a pause, Mother Teresa said, he doesn't say anything, he listens. And Rather is kind of thrown off by her response. He's trying to be all professional, but before he can say anything else, Mother Teresa cuts him off and says, I'm so sorry, but if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Now, Mother Teresa is referring to a a type of prayer that's beyond just talking to God or even listening to God. Uh, It's what St. John of the Cross referred to as silent love, simple attentiveness to the presence of God, receiving his love into the depths of your being and then giving it back in worship. We've been talking about prayer all month. This is the second in these series that we're doing on sacred practices, two a year for the next five years. Uh, We're going to take twice a year and do a deep dive on a certain sacred practice. Last summer, our board and, and core leaders, we settled on 10 timeless spiritual practices, means for spiritual growth and transformation. And we say around here that our reason for being, our purpose is to help each other belong and become deeply rooted followers of Jesus. And these Practices are the means for becoming deeply rooted followers. They're the means, not the measures. Last fall, we looked at Sabbath-keeping, and then for the last three weekends, we've been talking about prayer. We've been getting progressively deeper each week or a little bit more in-depth, and so in week one, I started the whole thing with what I kind of thought of prayer as sort of a 101 approach, just talking to God with emphasis on set prayers, pre-written prayers, the Lord's prayer, praying the Psalms. That was kind of our starting point. When you don't know what to pray, you can always pray the Psalms. Uh, The psalms are this incredible prayer book, prayers of joy, lament, and praise. There's prayers for those that are confused. There's resolute prayers in the psalms. And then in part two, Pastor Brody taught a message about talking with God. It was a prayer, uh, a message about, you know, kind of bringing God your concerns, praying through your life, interceding for others, uh, petition. Uh, Prayers for God's kingdom to be established, to break through and and penetrate our world. That was sort of prayer 201. And then last weekend, Pastor Rita did a message about listening to God, discerning the movement of of God through his spirit, the promptings of God, how to recognize the promptings of God in scripture and circumstance, how to recognize the voice of God's spirit when he speaks through others. And we sort of described that as prayer on a 301 level. Well, in this last message, and and trust me, I won't be long, we've got baptisms, we'll get to that in just a few moments, we've got a great celebration ahead. But I want to just take for a few minutes here and, and help you think about what it's like to experience a type of prayer that I would consider sort of next level prayer, prayer on a 401 level. And as I describe this, and as I kind of do all of this this morning, this is probably not as linear as I'm making it sound. If your prayer life is mostly interceding uh, for others or expressions of gratitude, asking God to help you in your times of trouble, that is not immature prayer. Don't hear that at all. Desperate prayers are fine prayers. It's where we all start. That's kind of the beginning point. But we build from there. Anybody sort of builds their skills over time. Uh, Connor McDavid is arguably the best in the world at what he does. Not so much last night, by the way. Anyway. Yet, yet, he still does puck handling drills and skating drills and shooting drills. He never stops developing uh, and practicing the basics. As long as he plays the game, he'll do that. Musicians do that. They continue to practice the scales, guitar players, uh, pianists. They continue to work their craft. There's sort of a progressive nature like this with prayer as well. As your walk with Jesus matures by the Spirit, maybe you can move beyond talking to or talking with God and, sure, begin to listen to God. But there's another possibility. That is finding deep meaning in just being with God. In relationships of all kinds... Jamie was talking about this a few minutes ago. You can even measure the intimacy level in your relationship by just how comfortable you are simply by being together. Even when you're not doing all that much, there's a certain comfort in being in a relationship where you can just be together even in silence. Think about a dating relationship. Early on in in relationships, a lot of couples will describe how they can just talk to each other for hours. Uh, I I hear this stuff all the time, and Corrine and I were like this early on. You know, you can just... You can stay up till 2, 3 in the morning talking because you have so much to learn about each other. That's a great thing. But as relationships mature, we still talk and play and, and do things together, but a lot of couples, most couples, just get increasingly at ease in each other's company. They learn to just be with each other. Corinne and I have been married for 36 years, and one of the best parts of being married that long is just being at ease and comfortable in each other's presence, quirks and all. Uh, There's not a lot of mystery anymore. I know what, what bugs her, she knows what bugs me. I know what she likes, she knows what I, we're just mostly at ease with each other. I know her routines. She knows mine. When we walk together, we do this thing. We, we hold hands a lot when we walk. And we have this little interlocking grip thing we do that's just a little quirk about our relationship. And if we hold hands conventionally, ugh, it feels weird. So we have to do this little interlocking thing. We've been doing that since we were you know, in our early 20s. There's ways we show affection for each other. There's ways in which we, we touch. We just know how to be with each other without thinking that much about it. Now, human analogies fall short here, but there's, there's a, a kind of intimacy, an intermingling of persons at the deepest level that is very like what we can experience with God. What if it were possible to be with God in that same way? Well, Christian contemplatives for thousands of years have described the marital union as an icon, a symbolic window into the reality of a union with God, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, I know this, for a few of you, is gonna sound perhaps a little weird, a little mystical. Yet, I know a lot of you, and I know you long for an experience with God. You, you long to have that kind of union with him that transcends sermons and books and, and formal prayer. Many of you long to experience God loving you through Christ and by the Spirit. So I have a few practical suggestions for how you might position yourself or posture yourself in order to increase the chances of you experiencing what I'm describing. But before I get to that, let me make my biblical case. Uh, Some uh, Jesus followers refer to this advanced level prayer, 401 level prayer, as contemplative prayer. Now, if contemplative sounds too ethereal or too mystical, think meditative, think thoughtful prayer, whatever word you want to use here, I'm talking about a kind of prayer experience that is 100% biblical in the hebrew scriptures in the old testament there's several examples of this especially in the psalms our great prayer book here's an example from a psalm of david psalm 19 may these words of my mouth and may this meditation of my heart this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight lord my rock and my redeemer elsewhere he declares my soul Waits in silence. Love that. My soul waits in silence for God alone. For Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be greatly shaken. Contemplative, thoughtful, introspective prayer is absolutely part of what we see in the scripture narrative. And maybe the best known example of this is in Psalm 46. A lot of you know this. It just says the psalmist, be still. Be still and know that I am God. There's so much there. Be still. And in those still moments, recognize that I am God. Apparently, there's something about stillness that enables you and I to encounter God in unique ways. (laughs) And then as we move to the New Testament, we have words like this from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always and pray continually. Or maybe you've seen translations that say, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Now, that can't mean we're supposed to be constantly talking and bombarding God with words. I think we're being invited into something uh, richer and deeper and more experiential. Now, I wanna be super clear about something here because I know the objections. I've read the negative posts by the grumpy, condemning men of the internet, and they are legion. They will accuse contemplative types of being new agey or practicing mindfulness or advocating for something resembling Eastern spirituality or some sort of mysticism. What I'm talking about here is a form of meditative prayer that has been an essential part of our story as followers of God and Jesus since the Hebrews were on the scene and into the Christian era. It is not a form of of prayer that is focused on emptying the mind The objective of the kind of prayer I'm describing is about filling the mind, to focus the mind fully on Jesus. Now, I want to admit something to you as I'm describing all of this. This is absolutely a leading edge for me. I want more of what I'm talking about. I'm only speaking partially out of personal experience. There's a lot of this that's still aspirational for me. I'm still learning how to quiet myself enough to do this. This is. This is not easy for me. Our world is noisy and busy. My world is noisy and busy. Mostly because I make it so. (laughs) I do a lot of this uh, on my own. I habitually fill almost every minute with activity or sports or podcasts or music or conversation. Last night after that ridiculous hockey game was over, I was kind of frustrated. And so I said to Kareem, let's play backgammon. So we played backgammon. But yet I turned on YouTube and watched, you know, cooking videos from barbecue places. Trying to do more, you know, I got to have multiple things going on. I do not do silence well. I will have podcasts going, and I'll just be simply taking a load of laundry from the dryer to the upstairs, and I will instinctively reach for my phone and put on a podcast for that 30 or 40 second walk from the one floor to the next floor. I'm, nah, I do not do silence well. <laughs> I'm learning about this from my spiritual director and my, my mentor, Morris as well as a couple of the guys who are behind a lot of the resources that we've curated for this series. Last plug, on the page for this series, there's a list of resources to help you go next level, and a lot of the resources are by two people, John Mark Comer and Pete Gregg. They both... Uh, talk uh, emphatically about this kind of prayer. Um, And both of them really describe it as sort of happening in three stages. They both, they use different language, but it's very similar if you compare them together. Greg describes, starting with meditation, which leads to contemplation, which ends up in communion. That's kind of his three steps. Contemplation, or meditation, contemplation, communion. Comer describes the starting point as looking or pursuing, which leads to yielding or accepting, resulting in resting, resting in the presence of God. Here's what they're getting at. Pete Gregg describes the first stage or first step in a dance, if you will, as meditation, meditation on God, looking for God. And by the way, it's it's work, it's effort. It's an effort to silence the noise and focus on the divine. It's not emptying the mind, but focusing the mind and the heart On Jesus. The next phase is contemplation, and the difference is subtle. Meditation uh, typically starts with self reflection, me and God, but in contemplation, the focus begins to shift off of self and onto God. So it's me and God, then God and me. In other words, as I go deeper in this, the center of gravity shifts, and I become less aware, less obsessed with myself, and more and more of my focus. Is on God, And if that happens, great. If that simple move happens, that's great. That's already progress, but there's another level and it doesn't always happen that spins us all the way over to here where it's possible to experience a type of communion where in effect, it's, it's only God. It's not me and God, God and me, but just God, a God awareness, the presence of Jesus through his spirit where he's known and experienced, where I stop even thinking about myself at all. Charles Wesley describes this as being lost in wonder and love and praise. Meditation is focusing our thoughts on Jesus. It might mean sitting quietly. It might mean going for a slow walk in nature. One way or another, it definitely is going to involve quieting the mind and quieting the environment. And once the atmosphere is right, a great place to start, the best place to start is in the scriptures. And I'm not talking about in-depth Bible study now. I'm talking about taking a line or two from Scripture, maybe from the Psalms, and using that Scripture as a window to help you focus on God's presence. Here's how it can look. This is from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. You can read and you can think and you can pray through that verse for quite a while and see where that takes you. Psalm 139 is probably the go-to psalm for me. I read it uh, more often for myself. I read it in the presence of others in pastoral care situations. Uh, I never get tired of these lines, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful I know that full well. Or from James, the brother of Jesus, we get this great promise, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. There is absolutely a time for in-depth Bible study. There's time for word studies. There's time to get into textual criticism. If you know me at all, if you've been through um, our services here and you know my teaching ministry, I always emphasize authorship and genre and context, 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 context. There's always a reason for the original author and his intent and all of that or her intent. But sometimes, rather than reading for education or information or application, it's not a bad idea to take Scripture in small bite-sized pieces and read and meditate for revelation and encounter. The first psalm, in the whole collection of psalms, says this, blessed is the one who delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Meditation on scripture is ideal, but it doesn't have to be the only way. We're talking about that in this series. Scripture, uh, describe, we talk about sometimes a, a special revelation, Scripture, Jesus, but there's also general revelation. There are things we can discern about the Creator by looking at creation. That's why so many people talk about having divine encounters when they're in a particularly beautiful place that kind of takes their breath away and takes them sort of into a a different place with God where it's easier to meditate on God. Uh, You all know what it's like to be in the mountains and just, boy, you can sort of feel the presence of God in uh, the Rockies, right? We, We stand at Lake Louise and tell me God is not real. Like, you just, you can connect with the divine in places like that. It happens at the ocean, you could happen um, through uh, art, through other forms of beauty, uh, visual art, paintings, music, can all be portals to the divine. Now, I would suggest that scripture is the ideal starting place for meditation, but there are other gateways to become more aware of God's presence and his goodness. Some people, when they try to enter into this kind of prayer experience, they find it helpful to repeat Uh, certain prayerful phrases. There's a Franciscan prayer that monks will use sometimes. It's just, my God and my all. My God and my all. Pray that several times. My God and my all. Or some contemplatives suggest praying repeatedly, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, as a way to quiet your mind and your heart and help you become more aware of God's presence. This may be, maybe, what Jesus is getting at when when he describes um, how to pray in Matthew chapter six. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, there's that place where uh, in Matthew's version, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. He's talking about prayer. And this is what he says to them. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm not sure how much you've thought about what the reward is. That's the part of this this verse that I haven't thought that much. What does it mean by he'll reward you? What does that mean? Uh, Maybe the reward is his presence. I want you to see how Eugene Peterson renders this very same verse in the message paraphrase or the message translation. Here's what I want you to do. These are the words of Jesus again through Eugene Peterson. Here's what I want you to do find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. Isn't that beautiful? That's meditation becoming contemplation, leading to communion. That's looking, that's pursuing, which leads to yielding, which ends up in resting in God's presence, where prayer is not so much about words and much more about just a a quieted, resolute heart posture. And if this seems a little out there, a little unattainable, if you're not buying what I'm selling, Listen, you're probably more familiar with this than you realize. Because I think something like this happens in here all the time, in a room like this in worship. Uh, If you're at all like me, you often come into this place with other things on your mind, perhaps what you're going to do later, whether or not Snowmageddon going to happen today, or what you're going to do for lunch, or maybe you're a little bit upset right now because you had an argument on the way here, and you're not resolved, and so you're, it's a little tense, whatever. You walk in here, you're distracted. And then somebody like uh, Jesse or Jamie or somebody, one of our other worship leaders kind of steps in here, and they read a scripture, or they pray a prayer, and you... Start to find yourself getting a little bit drawn in and then uh, a lyric comes up on the screen of a song and you begin to sing a little bit and you recognize because a lot of the lyrics that we sing come right from the scriptures and you start to realize that you're singing scripture and, and you might even start to tell yourself in your mind, focus a little bit or you might start to realize this is connecting with you and as we start to sing, your focus becomes on the lyrics and the melodies. That's meditation. And sometimes as this is occurring, you start to forget about, you know, what's going to happen later today or lunch or the argument. You might even get swept up a little bit in that line from the song. And that might get a hold of you a little bit and suddenly you're contemplating. And it's not so much about you and God anymore, but now it's becoming God and you. And sometimes, I know it only happens occasionally for me, but sometimes in worship, through the music, through the voices of your friends, maybe in a prayer or in a reading or in silence or in testimonies that we're about to see, you begin to forget about everything. You forget about who you are and what you are and you become barely conscious of what you're doing. You aren't paying attention to anything around you anymore. You're caught up in the presence of God and that's when real contemplation comes to its fullness. And all of a sudden you recognize this real communion. Even if you're not a religious person, even if you're skeptical, this has probably happened to you. Something like this has happened to you. Think about what it's like to go to a movie, like a really good movie, an epic movie that, or maybe at, you know, in a theater it can happen, you can have this happen at home, What does everybody do when they get ready for a movie? Get their popcorn, get their drink. It's in a theater. You sit, you find your spot, you get comfortable, you put your stuff out there. At home, you dim the lights, you get the sound set just right, you silence your phone, you get everybody there, you get everybody dim, okay, everybody, we're going to start the movie now. You get comfortable. You start that. You're meditating. You're focused. And if the movie is good, really good, you forget your surroundings. You lose track of time. You aren't focused on the volume. You're barely aware of the person sitting next to you because you're into it. That's how meditation becomes like contemplation. You've gone sort of next level. And if it's a really, really good movie, like a, one that really connects with your heart and touches your soul, two or three hours can fly by like that. You don't even move. You don't think about anything else. And when it's over, you sit there staring at the credits. You don't move. Have you had that experience in a theater where it's such a great movie and there's a bunch of people in the theater and the credits roll and nobody gets up because there's like a social contract. Everybody recognizes that to get up immediately would be inappropriate. And so everybody just sits because we've all just had this experience together. That's what it's like to step into a true contemplative space. I think we're hardwired for this. We get it from art, from sex, from moments of exhilaration when our team finally wins. We get a taste of it in a great meal from raw and honest conversations with people we love, from nature. Sometimes any of these things can take us sort of beyond ourselves. Now, again, I I know there's going to be a little bit more resistance than usual on the other end of this. If this doesn't sound evangelical enough for some of you, if this doesn't sound alliance enough for some of you, here, here. I'll give you a quote from one of our favorite sons, the legendary Christian and Missionary Alliance theologian A.W. Tozer. Ready? He writes, Faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze at the heart of the triune God. Believing, then, is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God. And never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at this wondrous person quietly and without strain. Distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to him, after each brief excursion away from him, the attention will return again and rest upon him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. I need to land the plane and wrap this up. We've got baptisms to celebrate, so I'll conclude with one final quote that I'm gonna suggest is the perfect punctuation to everything we've talked about this month. And the quote is from a Catholic priest from Cactus Lake, Saskatchewan, believe it or not. His name is Ronald Rollheiser, and his writings on prayer are read and revered by a lot of people around the world, including... I'm guessing most people who've never set foot in Saskatchewan before. So somehow this, this uh, rural Saskatchewan priest has kind of gotten a foothold. But there's one a quote that Rollheiser is particularly known for. It's what he calls his number one non-negotiable rule for prayer. Want to see it? <laughs> you have to show up and show up regularly. <laughs> not that profound, right? Um, going deeper with prayer is not so much about technique, as much as it's about showing up. And that's how I want to leave this with you. you got to show up. And if I can just make three more suggestions here at the end, uh, try this for a few days or a few weeks. Try showing up at a regular time. Find a regular time to do this. Your choice. Morning, lunch hour, afternoon, dinner, time, evening, before bed. What? A, pick a time where you are most likely to be consistent. For me, it's morning. Um, There's too much inconsistency in my days. I'm finding that as I get a little bit older, I'm going to bed earlier, I'm waking up earlier, so the quiet of the morning is the best time for me. Second suggestion I would make is to include a little bit of ritual. Incorporate some mechanisms that positively trigger you. I started drinking coffee in my 40s and now it's like sacramental for me. It's the first thing I do in the morning. And uh, even that, the, the sound and the smell in the darkened kitchen of in the quiet pouring that first cup of coffee into a mug, that can be like a trigger. Like, okay, this is what we do now. That can be a, a helpful little trigger. I know people that light candles. Just a single candle as a way to focus. Jesus is the light of the world. Candle represents perhaps the presence of God's Spirit. Pick a location. That's another way to to make this predictable. Find a place, a specific chair. Uh, Consider starting your time daily by reciting something like Psalm 23, just a way to quiet your mind and focus. John Mark Comer describes how he kind of took prayer a little bit next level when he began to sit on the floor for his prayer time. Now, he's a little bit younger, you know, not that young. He's in his 40s. But he says, yeah, my back starts to ache after 5, 10 minutes. But he said, for just a few minutes, sitting on the floor, cross-legged, you know, kind of with an upright posture just kind of helps him focus. Body posture might help you. Some of you might like variety. Um, That's you, great. But a lot of us need predictability. We, We form habits through repetition. And most contemplatives find that a good rhythm is more important than duration. And the last bit of advice I would give you is just simple uh, just abandon outcomes. Be easy. Don't force it. Don't demand anything of God. Just offer yourself to God in prayer as an act of love, as an act of worship. Give God some space to operate, and then listen and watch. Respond wherever God takes you, however he leads you. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this divine invitation that you've given us to commune with you. I thank you that you're a God that responds to our prayers, has given this gift, this mechanism, this capacity, even this desire to be with you. God, would you Help a lot of us to sort of push past our, our resistances and our skepticism and seek you. Thank you for the promise that those who seek, those who draw near, like James says, you will draw near when we draw near to you. So make it so. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would pour out your blessing on those who are being baptized today. Thank you for the testimonies that we experienced last night, that we will experience here again this morning this visual reminder of transformation and change, life. Thank you that you are at work in this community and in this church. We will see demonstrated evidence of that in these next few moments. So God, may even in this act of celebration, may it be less of me and you, you and me, but just you and you at work. In your name we pray, amen. You're gonna hear several testimonies this morning, several of them are recorded for us on the screen. You're not going to get them all, but this is a sampling of what you're about to experience. Let's celebrate together.